Chapter 27 of The Great Sinners of the Bible. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Larry Wilson. The Great Sinners of the Bible by Louis Albert Banks. The Villain in the First Christmas Drama. Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Matthew 2.13 Herod is preeminently the villain in the plot of the first Christmas story, which has fascinated the heart of mankind for so many hundreds of years. All the others that appear in the story are most attractive characters. The wise men who come from across the desert following the star in the east, bringing their rich gifts and ready to worship the Christ, are altogether winning and splendid in their suggestion of nobility and largeness of character and life. The shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night, who, when they have heard the good news, come into the little town of Bethlehem, full of curiosity and reverent awe, and who go back again to their flocks to praise God, win our hearts by their honesty and simplicity. The angels, who bore the good tidings of peace and good will, and all that mighty company of the heavenly hosts which sang their praises to God and their anthems to the new-born Christ, have made all human life richer and sweeter ever since by the glimpse they gave into the beauty and glory of the inhabitants of the upper skies. They have filled the background of all our lives with singing angels and put a prophecy of peace and brotherhood on human lips wherever the story of Christ has gone. The little manger itself and the stable and the cattle have captured the fancy of the world, and the pure-minded, honest Joseph, and sweet-faced, glory-crowned Mary, with the holy glow of motherhood resting on her innocent face as she kisses the newborn child. All these are attractive. There is only one villain in the plot, and that is Herod. Herod desired to slay Jesus because he feared the overthrow of his government. He had no idea of a spiritual kingdom, and there was no base work in the man for such a belief. He was a brutal, sensual, wicked man to whom only brute force appealed, and he supposed that this new Messiah prophesied about, and whom the wise men of the East had come so far to seek, was the birth of a new kingdom which was to be a threat against his temporal power. The Herods, all of them, knew the truth of the proverb, Uneasy lies the head that wears a crown. This Herod, like the rest, was all the time looking for danger, and so he was determined to crush it out while the promised king was only a child. When the wise men were led of God to return to their home without seeking Herod, he determined to make sure of his wicked purpose by killing every child under two years old in the entire region. This cruel edict was carried out, and the land was filled with the broken-hearted fathers and mothers, and with the graves of little children. But the child he sought escaped his malice. I have not selected this picture for our study with the intention of taking the time for a discussion of the sins of Herod, who has long since gone to his judgment, but to try to bring clearly before your mind the fact that Satan and sin are ever trying to destroy the Christ in our time as persistently and wickedly as in the days of Herod. All that is wicked in the world is warring against Jesus, and is seeking to take him out of the heart and lives of men. You, who are Christians, 
could bear testimony to the truth of this. You know that to maintain a Christian life and to keep a happy communion with Jesus in your soul require that you shall war against the world and the flesh and the devil. And you who have never become Christians, but who were reared in Christian homes and were brought up to look forward to Christmas as a time of love and good will, will bear witness as to how persistently the evil spirit has wrought in his attempt to destroy entirely that old spirit of love and reverence toward Christ and his church, which you knew something about in your childhood. It may be that I speak to some out of whom the Christ thought and the Christ life have almost entirely disappeared. The memory of the prayers that were taught you in boyhood or girlhood is like a shadowy dream that has no longer any power to influence your daily conduct. Even the habit of church-going has ceased to be anything more than an empty form. Its true function is bringing you into relation to Christ, which had something real and genuine and blessing in your youth, has now vanished. Your indifference or your sinfulness has driven Christ out of your life. Other things have come in and filled your thought and affection until, like the little inn in Bethlehem on the first Christmas Eve, there is no room for Christ in your soul. If this is so, you have met with the most terrible loss that can come to any human life. Henry Van Dyke, who has given us a number of supremely beautiful Christmas stories, has given one of rare interest this year, in which he tells the story of the lost word. It is the story of a young man who lived in Antioch some fifteen hundred years ago. This young man was the son of Demetrius, a very proud and wealthy old pagan. The son, however, came under the influence of the great Christian preacher, John of Antioch, and though it cost him his father's home and all the prospects of wealth and power as his father's son, he accepted Christ and for two years lived with the Christians. But he fell at last into a gloomy mood, and lost the sweetness and joy out of his Christian faith. While he was in this depressed and unhappy condition, Christmas morning came, and having no joy with the Christians in their festivities, Hermas wandered away by himself to the grove of Daphne, in which there was a heathen temple. He sat down beside a gushing spring, and gave himself up to gloom and sadness. While he sat there, feeling that his Christian life was a failure, an old pagan priest came upon him and tempted him to renounce Christ. Although he refused to do that, he opened his heart to the old priest and admitted his longing for worldly pleasure. Well, said the old man soothingly, as he plucked a leaf from the laurel tree above them and dipped it in the spring, let us dismiss the riddles of belief. I like them as little as you do. You know this is a Castellian fountain. The Emperor Hadrian once read his fortune here from a leaf dipped in the water. Let us see what this leaf tells us. It is already turning yellow. How do you read that? Wealth, said Hermas, laughing as he looked at his mean garment. And here is a bud on a stem that seems to be swelling. What is that? Pleasure answered Hermas bitterly. And here is a tracing of wreaths upon the surface. What do you make of that? What you will, said Hermas, not even looking. Uh, suppose we say uh, success and fame. Yes, said the tempting priest. It is all written here. 
I promise that you shall enjoy it all. This is the season that you Christians call the Christmas, and you have taken up the pagan custom of exchanging gifts. Well, if I give to you, you must give to me. It is a small thing, and really the thing you can best afford to part with. A single word, the name of him you profess to worship. Let me take that word and all that belongs to it entirely out of your life, so that you shall never need to hear or speak it again. You will be richer without it. I promise you everything, and this is all I ask in return. Do you consent? Yes, I consent, said Hermes mocking. If you can take your price, a word, you can keep your promise, a dream. The old priest laid the long, cool, wet leaf softly across the young man's eyes, and an icicle of pain darted through them. Every nerve in his body was drawn together there in a knot of agony. Then all the tangle of pain seemed to be lifted out of him, and he fell into a deep sleep. When Hermas awoke, he had gone back again to his worldly life. He left the grove and walked toward his father's house. As he drew near, he saw a confusion of servants in the porch, and the old steward ran down to meet him at the gate, saying, The master is at the point of death, and has sent for you. Hermas hurried to his father's side, and found him dying. The feeble old man said, "'It is good that you have come back to me. I have missed you. I was wrong to send you away. You shall never leave me again. You are my son, my heir. I have changed everything.' Hermas, my son, come nearer, close beside me. Take my hand, my son.' The young man obeyed, and kneeling by the couch, gathered his father's cold, twitching fingers in his firm, warm grasp. Hermas, life is passing. The last sands, I cannot stay them. My soul is empty, nothing beyond. Very dark. I am afraid. But you know something better. You found something that made you willing to give up your life for it. It must have been almost like dying, yet you were happy. What was it you found? See, I am giving you everything. I have forgiven you. Now, forgive me. Tell me what it is. Your secret, your faith. Give it to me before I go. At the sound of this broken pleading, a strange passion of pity and love took the young man by the throat. His voice shook a little, and he answered eagerly, Father, there is nothing to forgive. I am your son. I will gladly tell you all that I know. I will give you the secret of faith. Father, you must believe with all your heart and soul and strength in... Where was the word, the word that he had been used to utter night and morning, the word that meant more to him than anything he had ever known. What had become of it? He groped for it in the dark room of his mind. He had thought he could lay his hand upon it in a moment, but it was gone. Someone had taken it away. Everything else was most clear to him, 
the terror of death, the lonely soul appealing from his father's eyes, the instant need of comfort and help. But at the one point where he looked for help, he could find nothing, only an empty space. The word of hope had vanished. He felt for it blindly and in a desperate haste. Oh, father, wait! I, I, I have forgotten something. It has slipped away from me. I shall find it in a moment. There is hope. I will tell you presently. Oh, oh wait! The bony hand gripped his like a vice. The glazed eyes opened wider. Tell me, whispered the old man. Tell me quickly, for I must go. The voice sank into a dull rattle. The fingers closed once more and relaxed. The light behind the eyes went out. Hermas was kneeling, full of agony, beside the dead. One would have thought this would have sent him back again to the Christians and the holy faith, but he had bargained away the name of God in Christ for worldliness and pleasure, and so he went forward. He was now very wealthy and powerful. He married a beautiful woman, Athenaeus. A son was born to them, who was the idol of their hearts. Yet all their wealth and power did not give them peace. They longed for something. They knew not what. To try and find peace, Hermas thrust himself into the world's excitement and glory. He built palaces. He patronized art. He gave banquets to kings. He sent grain ships across the seas. But peace did not come. One day he entered the great chariot races at Antioch, and his black Numidian horses won the victory over a score of rivals. Hermas received the prize carelessly from the judge's hands, and turned to drive once more around the circus to show himself to the people. He lifted his eager son into the chariot beside him to share his triumph. Here indeed was the glory of his life, this matchless son. As the horses pranced around the ring, a great shout of applause filled the amphitheater, and thousands of spectators waved their salutations of praise. Hail, fortunate Hermas, master of success! Hail, little Hermas, prince of good luck! The great acclamation and the fluttering of garments in the air startled the horses. They plunged violently forward. A rain broke. A wheel of the chariot caught against a stone parapet and the boy was tossed into the air, his head striking the wall. When Hermas turned to look for him, he was lying like a broken flower on the sand. Some of you know the agony of the days that followed. Know as I do by personal experience what it means to have a son who holds all your heart, trembling in the darkness between life and death. Hermas tried to pray, but he could not, for the name he used to pray to was lost. His wife begged him to pray, but he could only say, Long ago I knew something. It would have helped us. But I have forgotten it. It is all gone. But I would give all that I have if I could bring it back again now, at this hour, in this time of our bitter trouble. A servant entered the room and told him that John of Antioch was waiting to see him, and also Marcion, the old pagan priest. Hermas and his wife, broken-hearted, went together to meet them. The good Christian looked the young man tenderly in the face and said, My son, 
I have come to you because I have heard that you are in trouble. It is true, answered Hermas passionately. We are in trouble, desperate trouble, trouble accursed. Our child is dying. We are poor, we are destitute, we are afflicted. In all this house, in all the world, there is no one that can help us. I knew something long ago, when I was with you, a word, a name, in which we might have found hope. But I have lost it. I gave it to this man. He has taken it away from me forever. He pointed to Marcion, the old pagan priest. The old man's lips curled scornfully. A word? A name? he sneered. I promised him wealth and pleasure and fame. What did he give me in return? An empty name. Servant of demons, be still. The voice of John of Antioch rang clear, like a trumpet through the hall. There is a name which none can lose without being lost. There is a name at which the devils tremble. Depart quickly before I speak it. Marcion had shrunk into the shadow of one of the pillars. A bright lamp near him tottered on its pedestal and fell with a crash. In the confusion he vanished like a shadow. John turned to Hermas, and his tone softened as he said, My son, you have sinned deeper than you know. The word with which you parted so lightly is the key word of all life and joy and peace. Without it the world has no meaning, existence no rest, and death no refuge. It is the word that purifies love and comforts grief and keeps hope alive forever. It is the most precious thing that ever ear has heard, or mind has known, or heart has conceived. It is the name of him who has given us life and breath and all things richly to enjoy. The name of him who, though we may forget him, never forgets us. The name of him who pities us as you pity your suffering child. The name of him who, though we wander far from him, seeks us in the wilderness and sent his son. Even his son has sent me this night to breathe again that forgotten name in the heart that is perishing without it. Listen, my son. Listen with all your soul to the blessed name of God our Father. The cold agony of the breast of Hermes melted away. A sense of sweet release spread through him from head to foot. The lost was found. The dew of a divine peace fell on his parched soul, and the withering flower of human love lifted its head again. The light of a new hope shone on his face. He lifted his hands above his head, and words of prayer were on his lips. Out of the depths have I cried unto thee, O Lord. O my God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusteth in thee. My God, thou hast given. Take not thy gift away from me. O my God, spare the life of this my child. O thou God, my father, my father. A deep hush followed the prayer. Listen, whispered his wife breathlessly. Was it an echo? It could not be, for it came again. The voice of a child, clear and low, waking from sleep and calling, My father! My father! 
It was no echo. The prayer of Hermas was answered. I have brought this story to you because I know that to many of you it is your own story. You have lost out of your heart all that personal and real conception of God which made your prayer and your faith a comforting reality in which you could trust. You are wandering in the darkness without God and without hope in the world. God help me to bring back the lost word to you. Open your heart and let him come back to you again with all the old tenderness and sympathy and love. End of chapter 27